Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of Conversations. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. On our program, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome to Conversations. This is your host, Michael Stone, and I am so happy to have Judith Orloff back on with us. She is a New York Times bestselling author of the Empath Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People, Thriving as an Empath, and Emotional Freedom. Thriving as an Empath is a new book that's coming out October 22nd, and it's so good to have you back on. Judith, welcome. Thank you. Lovely to have you here. Happy Thanksgiving. Here in Canada, it's Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> Always, every day. Yes, it is. And also, happy full moon. Happy full moon. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> I know you pay attention to those things. I do, very, very much so. Mariella and I did a beautiful little fire ritual last night for the moon. It was so fun and so touching. Just happy to be alive. So. You know, let's, um, for people who haven't read your books or heard our interviews, talk a little bit about some of the joys and fears and opportunities and experiences that come along with being an empath. I guess, what is an empath? And then what are some of the things that come along with being an empath that makes, uh, that really stands out? Well, I'm an empath and I'm also a psychiatrist. So I've gone through traditional psychiatric training and being an empath adds to my ability to read and feel into patients, you know, in a very, very positive way. Mm. It gives me a certain depth of seeing into people, which I enjoy so much and is so helpful therapeutically. Um, but an empath is somebody who isn't born with the same kinds of filters that other people have. So we feel everything. And we tend to be emotional sponges who absorb both the positive and negative energies of the world. We feel things very, very intensely. And so the gifts of being an empath include intuition, depth, openness, the capacity for deep spirituality and connection to nature, uh, creativity, uh, very open giving heart. Uh, but the, the challenges and why I wrote Thriving as an Empath was to help people with the challenges of being an empath, which include taking on the stress of other people in the world, where we're emotional sponges and absorb the stress of other people or the anger or the depression or even physical symptoms if you're a physical empath into our own bodies. So we must learn not to do that with the mm -hmm. negative things. And so I wrote Thriving as an Empath to offer 365 days of self-care for sensitive people with a different self-care technique on each page, which I use all the time because it's a constant juggling act for myself as an empath. Which technique do I use for each day? And it's an intuitive call a lot of times each day because I, I can't really predict what I'll need. But being an empath 
And being an empowered empath means tuning into your intuition, listening to what your body needs moment to moment, and then applying these kind of self-care techniques so you don't absorb. So you observe, but you don't absorb. That's the key strategy that I focus on in this book and a key strategy that empaths need to learn so they can enjoy and excel in their amazing gifts. You know, I love that you use the distinction empowered empath because so many of us that are empaths are bouncing around, not knowing what's mine, what's yours, what's ours. And this, this new book of yours is wonderful because every day you're having a, a page to read, basically a page and a half to read that can tap, you know, tap into those those feelings. And I think a lot of people, I, I know I have myself, turned being an empath sometimes into an affliction, like something's wrong. And then people seem to pick up on that and they want to help you cure it. It's it, it, <laughs> treated like a disease, you know? How, how do you deal with that? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> education? I, I guess it depends how you see it in yourself, first of all. Yeah. No, it's challenging to be an empath in our historical times. And it's a great challenge for me to stay strong and to stay bright and to be able to have confidence in all the values that I've tried to live all these years and apply them to myself so that I can be a bearer of light instead of just an exhausted wet noodle on a bed, <laughs> which can happen with empaths because when you don't have the proper boundary setting strategies, which I talk about in the book, or the meditation in place, or learning how not to overhelp and that not to take on the suffering of the world, even though you might want to. Now, these are some basics that can help you become an empowered empath. So it doesn't feel like an affliction. I think empaths feel it's an affliction when they get very tired and on sensory overload. And so it's important not to let yourself get to that state. You know, to try and nip it in the bud if you feel, you know, your energy is getting drained or if you're feeling on overload and too much is coming at you too fast, to just take a pause and to tune into your body mm -hmm. and ask yourself, what self-care techniques can I use at this moment to bring myself back to center? And so it's a constant re-equilibration to your center. And it's about being aware of the signals in your body. It's really beautiful. It's like playing a musical instrument and your body and your soul, that's the musical instrument that you're playing. But you can't forget to play it and you can't forget to listen. That's the thing. Hmm. I think one of the reasons that empaths get so tired is we think that we have a responsibility to fix the world often something like that anyway, that we need to fix things or take care of things. So often work hard at bringing change. And I know for myself, honestly speaking, that a lot of that outward work that I've done in the past 
is actually to avoid feeling the depth of those feelings that I have. You can give me some psychiatric help here, Judith. What, what is what's the heart of that? <laughs> and is that a common thing? <laughs> it, it's common, but it's also phasic, you know, in phases of your life where, you know, sometimes you're more outward and it doesn't mean necessarily you're avoiding maybe you were i don't know but sometimes we're more outward and our energy goes towards that and then at other times you know a different phase we become more inward and then it, it becomes more balanced so it's just part of the growth cycle of being human mm -hmm. and the key to being an empath is self-compassion mm -hmm. is not putting ourselves down not beating ourselves up for not helping enough or not doing A, B, C, or D, but to, you know, really look at our goodwill that we've created in the world and look at our good intentions and our desire for health, happiness, and a, a better world. Now, you can't always succeed, and that's what, you know, is very painful. You know, in this world, it's, it's very painful sometimes because you want to make more, you know, quicker change in a global sense in particular. Yeah. Um, and you have to really tune into what is possible to do, but you have to be in the best shape possible to do it. And that's why I wrote this book, Thriving as an Empath, so that you can be in good shape. And I can't tell you how important that is for empaths to feel like they're in good shape, yeah. as opposed to just tired, exhausted, overwhelmed. I can't do it. Why should, you know, is there hope? You know, all that that can happen when you're tired or when you're on overload. You see, so this book will help you get out of overload and back to your center over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned earlier boundary setting, and I think that's really, I'd like to expand on that because it's such an important part of what we're talking about. Some people don't know how to set boundaries or feel that if they did, they'd somehow hurt someone's feelings or they would um, cause some kind of disruption. Talk about the process of setting boundaries. Well, setting boundaries is a form of maturity, and it comes from realizing you can't do everything and be everything to everybody, you know, which empaths often want to be. They, they're helpers, they're healers, they're givers, um, but they overgive and then get exhausted and depleted. Uh, so part of being an empowered empath and a healthy empath is learning how to set boundaries at times when you need it. Mm -hmm. Um, and the way you set boundaries is key. You can set a positive boundary. You can say a positive no, not a snippy, angry, or irritated no. I had to crack up, Judith, when I read <laughs> one of the one of the things in your book was no is a complete sentence. I thought that's that was so great. <laughs> that's so totally true that all you have I to know. do it's okay. You can say it, but you say it, you know, with love in your heart if you can. You know, yeah. just say no, I, I just not I'm not I'm unable to do this right now. I'm so sorry. I know you're disappointed, but gotta say no this time. Mm. But you say it with a tone of voice that's upbeat and loving and not apologetic or pleading, but you do say no so that you could go and do what you need to do. As empaths often need to do certain things for themselves. And it's not selfish, it's just the nature of the beast here. You know, being an empath, we have extremely finely tuned neurological systems. 
And that doesn't necessarily make us delicate, but it makes us responsive to a lot of stimuli that other people aren't responsive to. It just doesn't register in their neurological system. Mm. So I feel things, my, my chiropractor told me, I feel things a step ahead of him. And I found that really interesting, you know, where before, and he's an extremely sensitive man, he feels things in my body, but yet I kind of feel it before him. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really interesting that the, the sensitivities that if you really explore them in yourself, you know, which a lot of people don't, they try and numb them out or they try and cover them over if they're an empath and run into all kinds of problems like alcoholism or substance abuse mm-hmm. or um, food addiction, sex addiction. You know, a lot of empaths want to run from all of this. <laughs> and um, on a certain level, I can understand it, you know, but it's not going to help <laughs> in the long run. You think it will, but it won't. And to embrace your being and who you are and to begin to have conversations with loved ones and friends and, and others about who you are so that you can excel and expand and grow and be happy and flourish that's essential you can't just keep quiet anymore you've got to educate others too which is not something empaths do there you know i i was ashamed of being so sensitive as a child i was ashamed of you know some of my empath abilities and picking up all this stuff and shopping malls i didn't know what the hell was happening really you know and uh, i would go in feeling fine and i'd walk out exhausted or some ache or pain I didn't have before. And my mother, who was a doctor, and I had 25 physicians in my family, you know, they just said, oh dear, just get a thicker skin. You need to get tougher. Mm. And that made me feel ashamed of my abilities because it made me feel like I was doing something wrong. And that was my essence. Sensitivity is my essence. It's just how I was born. And I love it at this point in my life. I mean, Oh my God, as a psychiatrist, it helps me so much. And in my personal relationships, as long as I set good boundaries, <laughs> you know, as long as I am authentic with my needs, with friends and my partner, then, you know, things go well. If not, then I suffer. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. You know, one of the questions I had around that is how can we become more loving or not really more loving, but tap into the love that we are? without becoming codependent or a martyr. Right. There's a section in the book on how to become, um, how to not become a martyr. That's where I got the question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel really strongly about that because many empaths and um, activists actually martyr themselves. Mm-hmm. where they give and yeah. give and give and give and give and then they develop some kind of illness or chronic fatigue and they just give beyond their red line so far beyond their red line that their body can't handle it anymore so you know it reacts with the, some disorder and so you have to begin to listen to your fatigue and you know really fine tune you know how you're feeling it's okay let's say to overgive one day if it's a conscious choice let's say you are doing something that will make a difference you want to do that but after that you want to have your alone time as alone time is so essential for for empaths and as hard as it may be for you to get this and as and as opposite it may be to your nature 
you know, on January 12th, I have a section on it's not my job to take on the world's pain. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel as a compassionate person, maybe, that you want to take on the world's pain because that will make you more compassionate and help things. But it's impossible if you do that to stay healthy. You know, unless, of course, you're a really evolved Tibetan monk who could practice the Tonglin process where they take on, uh, you know, the worst, worst, worst possible diseases of, of humankind and pull them through their bodies and purify through the heart of compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, and it takes a very, you know, advanced person to do that and not take on all that. And that's, that's the ultimate practice, you know, that I'm so in awe of. But in terms of everyday life, I wouldn't try it. Oh, really? I, I, that's interesting because I love Tonglen. It's a regular practice. In fact, we just had someone on recently, a new book uh, on Tonglen, but the whole sitting and, and bringing in that dark, heavy, sooty energy into the heart and then purifying it, I find to be actually very empowering. You know, I don't see it as, as so, so advanced, but maybe as a, uh, as a therapist, as a psychiatrist, you have a different view of that. Maybe I guess the person just has to be ready to do it or? It's a tricky thing for an empath because an empath takes on everything. This is an emotional sponge. Mm-hmm. And so if you ask, you know, an empath to take on, let's say, all the, all this, all the energy of the, the rapists and the serial killers and, you know, all the dark emotional energy, violent energy, and purify it through the heart of compassion, you know, if they're codependent at all, it's not going to just go through the heart of compassion. It's going to trigger every codependent issue that they have and every PTSD issue that they have. So it's not just as simple as I'm going to do that from my point of view. It's an interesting conversation because I consider myself an empath with PTSD and lots of early childhood trauma. And yet I find it relaxing when I take the time to do Tonglin because it feels like I'm feeling those things anyway, especially with climate change and all the species extinction and things are going on now in the world, in the natural world. And yet when I can sit and actually bring that self and transform, it feels very empowering to me to be able to transform that energy. But, you know, like I said, that's just, you know, I've done it for a number of years, actually started doing it 20 years ago, probably. Right, right. Well, you've done a lot of work on yourself and you have a very powerful spiritual path of your own. And many, many empaths that I work with and many empaths who are new to this, you you have to start a little bit less <laughs> advanced <laughs> so that it can be in doable chunks. If you say that to an overwhelmed empath who's, you know, having a hard time with their spouse or having a hard time with their coworker and is feeling so tired, that's the last thing they're going to want to do. And, you know, it, it just depends at what phase you're in. So it, it depends yeah. totally <clears throat> according to the individual as well. But I tend to, to teach in baby steps depending on where people are. Um, you know, if you're listening, you've never heard of an empath before, I'd start with the beginner's mind. <laughs> I would start totally simple and easy. 
Yeah. Work up to what you're saying. What you're saying is be exquisitely beautiful, but it, it might take a little bit more than, you know, for for new people and people in on the intermediate path than than you might know. Yeah, that's probably true. I'm, I'm sure that's true. One of the things I wanted to talk about, it's not just taking on the problems of the world out there and all that, but it's really on an individual basis, the working of the mirror neuron system. I would love if you would talk about how it works and how that can lead to burnout, stress and hyperactivity and how we can be aware of that mirroring that happens. Yes, yes. Well, there's a, one of the days I've devoted to, in the book to activating your mirror neuron system. Mm -hmm. Your mirror neuron system, these are the compassion neurons in your brain. And they're amazing. And it's been theorized that with empaths and really highly sensitive people, that the mirror neuron system is hyperactive, meaning it works overtime. And then if you're, let's say, a narcissist who has full-blown narcissist who has um, empathy deficient disorder, it's theorized that the mirror neurons are hypoactive, meaning they're not really working well, if at all. Right. And so they lack empathy and compassion, which is something really hard for empaths to grasp, but it's really important that they do in terms of who they choose to be in relationship with. And so we have, you know, our brain chemistry, our the neuroscience of you know, our being is so connected to our spirituality. I, mean, I see it all as one. And with an empath sensitivity, you can enhance your compassion and your empathy, which is what I, I try and do. And I, I really encourage my patients to do it. Our, our goal is to become more empathic, more compassionate, not to numb ourselves out or put on the armor. You can at time practice the protection techniques in the book, such as um, putting a shield around your body, breathing out stress and other techniques. But the ultimate goal is to expand your empathy and compassion, but feel safe doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So many ways we numb ourselves out. And you mentioned a couple of them. I know I've, I've tried them all, I think, in, in, in my early years, yeah. whether it was alcohol, drugs, sex, or uh, movies or you know now so many people do that with with their phones and the internet and Facebook and social media I wonder what your thoughts are about how you know recognizing that this is an addiction that you that you look at your phone every five seconds is an addiction yeah that's right it's an addiction mm -hmm. and if you're prone to addiction you know other kinds of addictions you may have a phone addiction now or an internet addiction and so like any other addiction, you know, you have to be aware of it. You've got to, you know, practice whatever steps. If you're in a 12-step, you know, situation, go to 12-step groups, you can apply that as well. Um, but be very clear that that's not where you're going to get the bulk of your energy. Mm -hmm. The energy is going to come from nature. It's going to come from meditation. It's going to come from exercise and movement and recognizing the elements you know th this book i've divided into the seasons the elements the equinoxes the solstices so that everyone as you go through the year of exercises can be aware of the changing light and the changing moon cycles and how these are self-care techniques 
um, watching the phases of the moon is a self-care technique and a way to optimize your energy. Noticing the changes of light in the season is a self-care technique so you can better care for yourself in different levels of light. You know, in the autumn, sometimes in the winter, sometimes people have seasonal affective disorder, mm -hmm. so they need to get a light machine to boost, um, you know, the, the light in their lives, <laughs> so the outer light. And so it's important. Now, I'm not talking about self-care just in the usual ways. I'm talking about it in the mystical ways as well and in earth-centered ways. And I, I think for me, writing the book, this was really an important point because you can't practice total self-care without juxtaposing yourself in the heavens and watching the moon and watching the sun cycles and feeling the wind and noticing the solstices, the equinoxes, the eclipses, all of this affects our being just as well as other techniques such as setting boundaries, learning to say no, um, breathing out stress, you know, all that. But I wanted to add this element of the natural world as a predominant element that we think about every day, not just occasionally, but it's a part of our consciousness of self-care. And that to me is hugely important for my own life. And I hope I can transmit it to others who perhaps are not as used to th these kinds of cycles as I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that you um, bring, bring out the mystical or animistic ways of uh, worldview, because I think it's, it's so important. So many aspects of that I'd like to talk about here in, the second half of our show. Um, and I'd like to start out talking about time. You, you right. uh, have an emphasis on temporality. And um, I just wanna share my notion, which wasn't in the book so much, but um, being that we live in a death adverse society, like, you know, we, we don't have a strong relationship, a healthy relationship to death in this culture. And I think that is at the heart of a lot of the issues we have around our notions of time. I know you bring out the, the Greek aspect of time, but even deeper than that is, is this uh, cultural meme that we have that it's not about um, the quality of life while we're here with a, with a recognition that, you know, we're gonna die and there's only so much time in there but talk about that your sense of of the importance of temporality and recognizing um, our relationship to time and yes i have a, a day that's devoted to the coming and goings of all things and it's about how we come and how we go mm -hmm. and how that's just a, a cycle of life is to recognize the coming and goings of all things uh, it's just the nature of life and, na and nature itself. And also during the fall season, I talk about the focus of death and change and transmutation as part of the fall and then the winter of going inward. Um, the ultimate death of the physical body, of course, transcends any, any of the seasons and is probably the most important thing that ever happens. We take our, our growth here. You know, which is hard earned. We take our growth here when we go. 
we take our heart development when we go. And the function of time is to develop. That's how I see it, mm. is to develop the heart. That's the function of time. And however we do that, you know, as we go through each month, you know, in the book, I go through January, February, March, the spring, April, May, June, the summer, July, August, September, autumn, October, November, December, winter, and then spring again, you know, cycles around the sun. You know, how many do we have? 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 maybe? That's about it. I mean, then we're going to cycle out to, <laughs> to another part of existence beyond the seasons, mm -hmm. you see. But now we have the cycles of the seasons. I, I wouldn't dwell too much on the other side. I know people become transfixed with the other side, but this, this is the gift we've been given now. And even though it can be hard and painful and, oh my God, puts us through so many challenges, the more you're aware, the more you, you go through, I think. I don't know, but it, it's quite challenging to be here on earth. But this is where we learn. You know, this is, the seasons can help us, the death rebirth. If you tune into that, as part of the cycles around the sun each year. Now this book takes you on one cycle around the sun from January through the end of December. And you can pick it up anywhere you want in the book and you don't even have to read it in a linear fashion. You could just turn to any page you want. But it, some people will read it in a linear fashion because it's a kind of a, a year meditation that I'm inviting people to do with the awareness of the seasons and the life-death cycle, as you so aptly point out, you know, and the awareness of the temporality of human life and how we can slow down time by being discerning about our activities and not getting overly busy. The less you do, the slower time will be in some sense. And so if you're rushing and time is just splitting by every day with too many activities, you might want to consciously slow it down a bit so you can savor the moment more. And you could look at the flower on your walks for let's say 30 seconds instead of two seconds. Yeah. Something like that. I can't, I, I can't think of a more sage advice than what you just said about slowing down. What's happening is, you know, the complexity and the speed of things is moving faster and faster. And I, I, I'm sure that in your practice, you have a lot of people that just are overwhelmed. I, I know I just ask anybody and the common response, how are you doing is I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Well, slow down. You know, well, I can't, I've got a mortgage to pay and I've got this and I've got that. Well, we, we all need to slow down. And I, you know, I love the way you divided this book into like each season is kind of like a, there's a lesson plan, you know, like winter <laughs> going inward, seeing truth, spring, you say rebirth, growth, regeneration, summer, passion, play, abundance, autumn, harvest, change, and letting go. Those are so, you know, they're really the epitome of those times. If, if we're doing something other than that, then we're not in harmony with the natural world. And, and that's, of course, one of the big problems is we hold ourselves as separate. You know, that whole Newtonian, Cartesian thing of being objects in a world of objects, we're separate from our body, which mm. I want to talk about with you, make sure we do talk about 
the embodiment and uh, from each other and from nature and, and from the world itself. So just, I'm just underscoring what you're saying. How can we take that time to slow down? I spend two hours a day in meditation and, and mm -hmm. reflection, you know, every day. How and, luxurious. Yeah, and it is luxurious and it actually gives me more time, which sounds completely cuckoo, but it's, you know, or counterintuitive at least. But we need to slow down. So I'm just underlying what you're saying and appreciating what you're saying. But I do want to talk about the body because it's such a, an important aspect and we are a disembodied, you know, my first teacher was Gabrielle Roth. So ah. I spent 40 years dancing with Gabrielle and um, what a lovely creature. I love Oh her. my God. Yes. I miss her every day, but she's with me and that falling into the body. And yet still I'm constantly having realizations when I get into my story so I don't have to feel my feelings. And then I go to my body and boom, there it is. Oh my God, shame. Oh my God, fear. And try to practice staying with that rather than distracting myself with my head and my mind and my thoughts to go into the body. It's, but it's such a big thing that people are, I always joke about the James Joyce, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. That's most <laughs> of us. That's most of us, hey? <laughs> yeah, short or long distance. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So any, any thoughts about that embodiment that you want to talk about in your, you've done such incredible work over all the years. You must work a lot with people and just coming back to their body. Yeah, it's, it's essential. I mean, that's our, our temple is our body. Mm -hmm. um, but the body can be very painful for people to come in too. Mm -hmm. And they're not given any training. I always think as babies, as young children, you need training how to be in the body. You know, and we, we don't really get trained to do that. It's so antithetical to the large nature of our spirit to be in a body. Nobody ever tells us how to do it, really. So, you know, you have to get used to the feelings in it. You have to get used to the emotions. You have to get used to, you know, the various sensations that, that are in the body. So it's not a big surprise to you. And, you know, because we're not given a lot of education about how to be in the body in a comfortable way. Now, a lot of people um, go up to their heads and they become disembodied. So they're disembodied heads walking around, you know, or they're thinking and talking. If you look at television, you know, and see some of these people talking, I could read their energy fields, you know, on the, on those news channels and, oh my God, <laughs> way up there you know you look at their i look at their hearts i look at their sexual area i look at you know their solar plexus it's high it's all going up to the head yeah. there's a lot of mental energy without the balance in the rest of the body and that you know to a, to an empath such as myself that can be very painful to listen to for any you know, long period of time and all that trying to solve everything with your mind and living up in your brain and letting your poor body kind of fend for itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think of the group, the musical group, the talking heads, you know, uh, yeah. say that it's, it's so much so, and you're, you're right about the education because 
there there is virtually no and in fact many schools don't even have pe requirements anymore it, it's like our education system is set up as far as i can see for two things one is to follow orders or fo follow the cultural means and norms to fit in or to consume to be a consumer and what else do we get out of an education system? It's no wonder so many kids that I talk to, why should I go to high school? Why should I go to school? You know, that they're, that, you know, the, they look at the future and they look 20 years out and they say, I don't have a future. Why should I go to school? And I, I, that's a hard thing to argue about, you know, because they make some really good points about why am I going to school? Yeah, to learn, to learn the basis of learning and development and trusting that process. Um, there's a section in the book I have on reading people and trusting your gut mm -hmm. you know, on March 17th. And mm -hmm. intuition is nonlinear knowledge that comes through gut feelings, flashes, dreams, rather than strict logic. Mm -hmm. And research has shown that we have a brain in our gut called the enteric nervous system, which contains neurotransmitters similar to that of the brain. And so in order to contact that wisdom, you have to notice the signals in your gut. I mean, that's one big reason to, to attend to your body, because what comes through your gut is pure wisdom, you know, through neurotransmitters, through your emotions through that centered point. And so without being in the body, you're not feeling it. And you're missing so many signals that are protective, even life-saving. So part of being an empowered empath is coming back to your gut. And in, in the end of each section, I write a set your intention. And this one would be, I will let my intuition guide my life. I will trust my gut and not let my analytic mind override the information my intuition conveys. I will not let my analytic mind override the information my intuition conveys. I mean, that's a holy vow. That's one to put on your mirror every day to read. <laughs> not Don't talk yourself out of your intuition. The intuition <laughs> comes from the body. Listen, listen, listen. If you're an empath, this will save you. Listening to your gut will save you from destructive relationships, situations that don't feel good in your body. Listen to your gut. That's Empath 101. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, so important. You know, one of my teachers is Thomas Hubel. I don't know if you know Thomas's work. No. He's a German mystic and beautiful work, very deep and beautiful work. Right. In fact, right now, over the next week or so, he's doing a trauma, a collective trauma summit with three or four people every day. And he's had amazing people on it. Started um, Saturday, I think. I highly recommend people tune into that and get a copy of it too. <laughs> it's um, Peter Levine and Jack Cornfield and just a, an amazing array of scientists and people that have been doing trauma work. And it's such a big thing because it's not just individual trauma, it's cultural trauma that's been passed down from ancestors, from things like slavery and genocide and, and native uh, genocide, all, all these different things. But these are a lot of amazing people that are talking about it. But one of the things that I'm thinking of from Thomas is I did a course around stress with him and I realized that 
Stress is one of those words that obfuscates what's really happening because it's like saying you're sick. I, you know, I'm sick. Oh, oh, you have a cold or do you have terminal cancer? You know, it doesn't really define anything. And the definition that he dances with is, is around, it's a capacity issue that when we're saying I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, we're saying that my current capacity is insufficient to meet the challenges that are before me. And so we talk a lot in that about capacity, about the mental, physical, and emotional capacity to create greater embodied spaciousness, mental spaciousness, emotional spaciousness, which I think is very much like what you're talking about. But I wonder, wondered your thoughts about that in terms of this issue of stress and the relationship to our developing our capacity and our growth in that area. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's what it is, is if you feel your capacity isn't large enough to handle a task, then it can really be daunting. And so these self-care techniques that I talk about in the book will increase your capacity. Your capacity diminishes when it's beaten down by external stimuli that are unhealthy mm-hmm. or too many. So it challenges your capacity um, to handle everything because everyone has a limited capacity. Everyone has a certain amount that feels good to give and that can vary in different phases of your life. But each day you have to tune in to what exactly it is that you have to give because if you start giving or doing things or scheduling beyond your capacity, then the balance is off. Mm-hmm. And when the balance is off, you start paying the price. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I write about, you know, the PTSD that many empaths feel mm-hmm. because, you know, many were brought up in narcissistic, alcoholic, neglectful homes or, or simply homes where they weren't seen with a capital S. Mm-hmm. or even noisy homes or chaotic homes that was too much for their their sensitivities. They were just on sensory overload all the time. And so part of expanding and becoming an empowered empath is healing that stress, you know, is uh, going back to the initial trauma and beginning to do some trauma work so it doesn't stay lodged in your body. Yeah. Now that, that's one important aspect of... Um, of uh, being an empowered empath and it's really liberating you know it's really I work with a lot of patients on that and once you can find that that little girl or little boy in that house where the trauma happened and you go in and you find that little beautiful being and you say to that being I am so sorry you were hurt I am so sorry I couldn't take care of you, but now I can, and I'm going to be taking you with me to my house where you will be safe and protected and seen. You know, the reclaiming of that inner child is a, a soul reclamation, and it's a very important soul reclamation for empaths to make, and there's a, a day devoted to that, you know, how to find her or him again, and literally located in a particular location that's frozen in history, a house where it happened, the main house where it happened. You have to go back there and find them and bring them home. 
Yeah, it is so important. I love the term soul reclamation. There's so many opportunities. I don't think people recognize that every time they have a, I'm not loved, I'm unworthy, I'm not good enough at this, I'm just stupid, nobody loves me, I'm unlovable. All of these kind of triggers that come up are the access to that soul reclamation by honoring the child that's saying that. Yeah, you gotta like do that. Like you just did. I mean, just your example was so, so perfect. Uh, going back and saying, okay, it's okay, I'm taking you to my house now. I love that. And you're going to be safe. And, yeah, and I'm sorry I couldn't take care of you back then. I didn't know how. Yeah, I didn't know how. Yeah, okay that you didn't know how then. Uh, Judith, you I love you. You didn't know how you were little. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You were supposed to know, hey? Yeah, right. <laughs> One thing we didn't talk about that I think is another access because we are so separate from nature is our relationship to the elementals to I'm, I'm so blessed here living on the ocean and I have a shower outside and even if it's mm -hmm. raining I use my outside shower to do my morning prayers and things and honor the earth air and the water and the fiery sun, even if it's not out, which since I live in a rainforest, that's not <laughs> all <Yeah>. that <laughs> unlikely. Talk about how being in touch with the elementals and recognizing that we are all of those things, we are the elementals, and how that can help us to heal that wounded part of being an empath. Oh, it's so nurturing to tap into the elements because sensitive people often love the primal experience of tapping into fire air water and earth you know to be able to be aware first of all I mean, who thinks about the element elements in in busy life if you're on a spiritual path and a nature-oriented path I'm, I'm sure you already do but so many people don't in simple activities and rituals such as luxuriating in a hot bath lying on a boulder or warming yourself by a fire you know, to begin to appreciate these simple everyday activities and feel the effect it has, attending to the balance of the elements in our bodies will improve our health, is what Hippocrates said. So we have these distinct qualities within us. Fire ignites passion and burns away resentments. Water is cleansing. Empaths love water to clear off negative energy. Get into a bath, get into your shower get into some hot springs, just let water help you. You can turn to air to lift your burdens, the wind, let the wind take it all away for you. You see the elements are allies. And if you tap into them and know their specific gifts, they can help you clear out negative energy from your body. And so in the book, I talk about how to tap into the different elements in really simple ways so that you could befriend them. They could become a reality in your life rather than something theoretical or just simply interesting. You know, they're very real forces here on earth. And the more you can tap into them and the pleasure of the elements. Now there's so much pleasure in nature and ecstasy in nature and empaths can put their hand on a tree and feel the, the energy of the tree and the, the beautiful abundance and life. 
you know, as it comes through that tree, you can come into your body. And the same is true of any element uh, with water, because, you know, I've worked as an intuitive for so many years, I could be by water or look into water and get into in intuitions. Um, it, it's an old ancient practice of looking into the well or looking into water and seeing visions. Um, I've always done that since I've been little, is to turn to water, to look into it and have almost a passive gaze and get information as it is reflected from the water. But that's more of a, you know, I have a very mystical relationship with the water and I've always needed to be by it for that reason. Um, but everyone can develop their own individual relationship with the elements and the, the pleasure. I, I don't want to make it sound like being an empath is just hard work because it's not. It's just learning basic tasks so you don't suffer. Now that's really important. But beyond that, every day is like an adventure. You can tune into the elements, you can meditate, you can take a walk, you can love deeply with your heart but know how to set boundaries so you don't become a martyr. You can learn all these skills, these practical living skills, and just develop your empathy so we can tip the global energy to something more positive. You have no idea how much your personal work can affect all that. Mm, absolutely, well said. And I wanna say something to all the empathic wannabes. <laughs> because, no, I think it's really important because it's amazing being an empath when you develop those skills. And it's really, I believe that, the, that everyone has these skills. It's just the level of how close they are to the service. And all of the things we've been talking about are not just for empaths. It's really the revival of our natural instinct, our natural intuition, our ability to, to mirror, to be with, to open to, all of those skills. And we're shifting, I think, as, as a culture, I'm hoping we are, from looking at the problems out there in the world, like climate change, you know, well, I can't do anything about climate change. Well, you certainly can. All the things we've been talking about and all the things in your book, Thriving as an Empath, every day, every page, is what you can do about climate change, because the internal healing is what's really needed to bring about an external evolutionary jump in what it means to be human. And so this work is, is the important work of our time, I believe. Yes, I agree. And it's beautiful, simple, simple. It's not complex, it's as simple as can be. You know, it's the simplest and the beginner's mind every day. Being an empath, being sensitive, listening to your inner voice every day and saying, all right, what, what are my body's needs today? Now, what can make me really happy? Or what do I need to really take care and, and pay attention to in terms of not exposing myself to? So it's not selfish, it's self-care. And once you could begin to have that basic attitude, I'm protecting myself, I'm taking good care of that little being that I went and saved from that home that, you know, I'm taking good care of her or him every single day. And this is part of it. And so, and then you go out and look at this earth, you look at the heavens, always look up so you can see your, your place in the heavens and the earth, you know, and how huge it all is. And remembering that it's not just about your life and what's happening on a, a linear level or looking down, it's about looking up. 
and mm. always having that awareness of the space above you mm. you know and and trying to have that spacious clear mind so it's not jammed with fears you know fear is like a cancer in the brain it can multiply you know one fear when it's stoked can multiply and spread you know just horribly so you need to see it as it's survival oriented some fears but a lot of fears are more of a disease and you want a clearer mind but i want to emphasize the seriousness of having a mind cluttered with fears you know it's it's not healthy to do that and it's beyond just inconvenience it's something that is very important to shift. Oh, and you just opened up a whole nother hour of conversation. I know. <laughs> We're running out of time. But I do want to say about the fear, yes, absolutely. And people often hear that as, oh, then I need to suppress and push them away. No, no, and no, 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 no. it's you want to feel and allow and open to so that you aren't pushing and, and causing their persistence. So much more we could talk about about that, Judith. You opened it at the last minute. <laughs> so I just want to say that your book is about to be released, Thriving as an Empath, 365 Days of Self-Care. It's by Sounds True. You can get it on Amazon. What's your website, um, Judith, uh, Dr. It's Judith Orloff? drjudithorloff.com. And my book tour schedule will be there. And I'll be in Seattle at East West Books on November 14th. They'll be in San Francisco in early November. Be in LA at Mystic Journeys Crystal Gallery on November 2nd. Uh, so come and join the conversation. And I have a, a Empath Survival Guide online course, which you can take also if you can't get to the live events. And that's at drjudithorloff.com. Oh, well, my dear, Dr. Judith Orloff, thank you so much for being on Conversations. It's always such a delight to have you. And thank you for your tireless work and all the gifts you've shared with people out of your own working as an empath. Mm, you're very welcome. My pleasure. Yeah. Well, I will be, see you soon, I hope. I hope so, too. Conversations is an independently produced program supported by KVMR 89.5 Nevada City and listener contributions. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinking in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or order any of our past shows, go to our website at arewelistening.net.